0: Hello, I'm Noelle Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Ming Bank. Last Thursday, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, or MAS, tightened monetary policy to contain inflation and ensure medium-term price stability. This is the fourth round of tightening since last October and falls outside of MAS's normal cycle of policy reviews, which are typically in April and October. How will this impact economic growth and inflation in Singapore? Suhaimi Elias, Group Chief Economist, discusses this headline, other central bank moves in the region, and the direction of currencies during a recession inflation.
1: Good morning, everyone. A roundout of uh, last week, um, US stock markets were volatile and ended lower last week amid rising risk of U.S. recession after 10-year U.S. Treasury yield fell last week that led to the 2-year, 10-year yield curve inversion. Key economic data from U.S. released last week included uh, U.S. June CPI, which rose 9.1% year-on-year, the highest since 1981. Meanwhile, uh, China's second quarter GDP growth slumped to 0.4% year-on-year, Versus 4.8 percent year-on-year in first quarter due to the spring lockdowns, although monthly economic indicators like PMI, industrial productions, fixed asset investment and retail sales point to China's economy rebounding in June from the slums in April and May. But uh, there are reports of continuing problem in uh, China's uh, property sectors as uh, growing numbers of home buyers refuse to pay mortgages for unfinished homes. Uh, in Europe, stock market and bond yields fell and euro hit parity against dollar for the first time in two decades. As recession worries grew over risk of Russia cutting off gas supplies by not reopening, not stream one gas pipeline currently under maintenance. Uh, sentiment was also weighed down by political uncertainties. Uh, UK ruling conservative parties going through the internal process of appointing new prime minister following Boris Johnson's resignations and Italy's coalition government collapsed and Prime Minister Mario Draghi resigned. <clears throat> the IMF said it will cut. It's a global growth forecast substantially and IMF World Economic Outlook update will be out on 26th of um, July. Uh, over in Japan, Bank of Japan reiterated commitments to ultra-loose monetary policy, saying that it will not hesitate to take additional easing steps. Uh, with BOJ's continued dovish stun, Diverging from the aggressive tightening by the US at the yen hit a fresh 24-year low last week and ended around 139 against the US dollar from 136 in the prior week. Last week also saw a lot of action by central banks. Bank of Canada raised interest rate by 100 basis points. Monetary Authority of Singapore, MAS, tightened its policy for the fourth time via second unscheduled review. Uh, Central banks of Philippines also had unscheduled monetary policy meeting and raised its policy rate by 75 basis points. And the likes of Reserve Bank of New Zealand and Bank of Korea raised their rates by 50 basis points. Um, key data in event to watch out this week include inflation numbers for June, uh, for Eurozone and UK on Tuesday and Wednesday. And we have uh, ECB and Bank Indonesia monetary policy meetings on Thursday, and Malaysia's June CPI on Friday. So today we have Habin um, Sombros, and Winston to chat about rate. Adri will share with us her second half 2022 macro outlook for Indonesia. Andy will go through the latest ASEAN X micro report on FX. We also have Daphne and Sevi to run through uh, Philippines consumer and rich sector. Habin, uh, we have fourth round. And second, surprise, off-cycle monetary policy tightening by MES. Can you elaborate on three things? Number one, the details of MES policy change and how does that compare with the previous tightening? Secondly, the justification for the latest move from growth and inflation point of view. And third, what is your expectation on the next uh, schedule policy review in October?
2: Hey, Hi, morning, Swahili. Yeah, so the MES surprise with a fourth move uh, and a second surprise off-cycle move to contain inflation. Uh, this time, the MES recentered the senior band up to its prevailing level. We estimate the recentering to be about 1.5% above the previous midpoint, and they left the slope and the width of the band unchanged. Uh, the distracting move follows up from the double move they made in April, that's a recentering and increase slope, and also the January-intermeeting move. Uh, the justification, I guess MES is very concerned about the inflation uh, overshoot, and that, that seems to be outweighing that of a growth slowdown. Uh, they ha- they are revising up the core inflation now to 3.5%, I mean, on, on average, that's 3 to 4%, and the headline, they also move it up now to 5 to 6%, another half percentage point move. In particular, I think they warn that um, core inflation, the latest figure being 36 will actually uh, Reach 4% in the near term. So I guess we'll watch out for that when June and July figures uh, comes up. Uh, but again, risks are onto the upside for inflation given the low commodity price shock and domestic wage pressures. On the growth side, growth is, um, you know, holding up fairly well in the second quarter, 4.8%. Though on a Q on Q basis, it is zero. So there are signs of a slowdown, especially on the trade related services. Uh, we think that, you know, the MES and the government basically is warning of a sharp slowdown ahead in the second half, uh, and we think that growth could slow down to around only 1.5%, essentially in the second half. Uh, no recession yet, but clearly, uh, you know, clearly that's going to weigh on the economy with what's going on in terms of um, the war, the lockdowns in China, as well as the Fed sharp rate increases. In terms of the next uh, meeting, uh, the next uh, meeting will be in October. We're expecting actually MAS to maintain the current stance, uh, unless inflation really surprises on the upside again, but we think that's unlikely. Uh, in part because commodity prices have been falling. If you look at the UN food price index, it's actually fallen to a four-month low on recession fears. All prices are also down some 18% from their peaks. Um, the only uh, upside I think is really about the tight labor market, uh, the concerns that the wages are going to, you know, stay high. Uh, Last wage growth figure in uh, Singapore in the first quarter was actually 70%. So I think um, the guidance is probably about 6% wage growth for this year. Uh, Domestically, um, there are all sorts of institutional changes as well. Bear in mind that Singapore will be introducing some kind of a local um, qualifying wages, de facto minimum wage uh, come September for the lower income workers. And they'll also be expanding the progressive wage model, which is like a Tiering of a uh, minimum wage for the retail sector in September as well. And that's probably going to keep the labour the, the wage cost pressures pretty high.
1: Thanks, Abin. Um, uh, let's move on to Zamros. Um, BSP also had an unscheduled monetary policy meeting uh, that concluded with a surprise 75 basis point interest rate hike after the earlier two rounds of 25 basis point hike. Uh, what causes BSP to accelerate the pace of its rate hike? where do you see a Philippines benchmark interest rate will be by end of the year?
3: Hi, morning, Swami. So morning, uh, everyone. Yeah, BSP uh, on last Thursday unexpectedly uh, in an unscheduled meeting uh, raised the policy interest rates by 75 basis point. It's currently at 3.25%. Uh, uh, this is the third rate hike uh, so far this year with total 100, 125 basis point rate hike. Uh, the biggest uh, since the 50 basis point hike uh, each in August and September uh, in 2018. Uh, just to highlight uh, two things from the uh, BSP's monetary policy statement, I, I, the first thing is the uh, BSP is looking at uh, the economy now is on a strong footing. So that's why they are looking at uh, the economy to be able to absorb uh, the latest interest rate hike uh, already in the first quarter this year, the economy expanded uh, 8.3%, uh, unemployment rate for the first five month was already at 6.1%, improvement from the uh, 7.8% uh, average last year, and PMI manufacturing is already uh, staying above 50 since uh, September last year, and it's currently at 538 uh, in June. And on top of that, we also have the loan growth, uh, very healthy loan growth at 10.4% in May. That makes the first five-month uh, loan growth of 9.1% average uh, for the period. So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, on inflation expectations. Uh, BSP also uh, uh, emphasizes on the uh, importance of to manage uh, inflation expectation, especially to the anchoring. Uh, the inflation expectations. And on top of that, we also have uh, the output gap, which is already balanced in the first quarter, then BSP expect this to be uh, neutral in, in the coming uh, months. And also BSP, uh, on top of the uh, monetary policy adjustment, they, they continue to support uh, the non-monetary measures by the government, to especially to address the supply side uh, issues. So we, with that, we... Uh, now, we expect BSP to front load and brought forward uh, interest rate hike this year for another 75 basis point uh, to 4% with inflation uh, average this year expected to continue to stay above uh, BSP's uh, target range of between 2 to
1: 4%. I guess a concern for BSP also is Philippine special, which I think have dropped like 10% against dollar. Uh, year to date. But um, Gamros, BSP has been very candid about signaling rate hikes. So what's the latest guidance by the central bank?
3: Yeah, B- BSP has been saying that uh, any uh, further uh, adjustment in the uh, policy interest rates going to be data-dependent and going to be data-driven. But uh, actually, uh, at the early of uh, this month, uh, the new governor, Madala, did say that uh, BSP is not rolling out uh, to push up the uh, policy interest rate to four percent by the end of this year, so that's that's sort of uh, the view taken by BSP.
4: All right,
1: thanks. Um, still on rate, Winston. We know with continued strong job reports and U.S. monthly inflation rate surprising on the upside in the past four months. I mean, which also saw Fed ratcheting up its rate high quantum from twenty-five bits in March to fifty bits in May and seventy-five bits in June. So what's the current expectation on the size of fed fund rate hike at the upcoming uh, FOMC meeting uh, I think that's going to happen on 26 27 July and secondly how do you see fed fund rate hike path shaping for the rest of the year and what would be the would be the impact uh, to the bond market especially US treasury and MGS Hi morning Suhaimi
5: so, for the FOMC meeting later this month I think it is going to be at least 75 BIP. As we know, the Fed started the rate tightening cycle late in this cycle, and this has put them in a very difficult position for having to tighten more aggressively than they should. Um, But they need to be careful of not overdoing it. Um, Currently, inflation is uh, too high in the US, and the labor market condition is still tight. So I think they will likely have to go with a minimum of 75 BIP later this month, if not more. At one point, the market was actually betting on a larger 100-bit hike, pricing in almost 75% probability at the peak, but now uh, it has fallen back to about 20% probability for a 100-bit hike because some of the more uh, more hawkish FOMC members like Chris Waller and James Bullard uh, indicated that they prefer a 75-bit hike instead. Uh, In terms of the... um, outlook on bonds, US Treasuries and Malaysia MGS. I think the key theme on bond yield, whether it goes higher or lower, uh, is still gonna be a balance of risk between inflation and recession. And we still think the market is overpricing inflation fear while underpricing US recession risk as what we have been arguing over the past uh, one to two months. And what I find last week, uh, market movement on bond yield was interesting. For example, the Bank of Canada high rate by 100 BIP, uh, even more aggressive than what the consensus expect. But the sovereign yield of Canada actually dropped and the uh, curve moved flattened. Also, the US CPI number was very high, higher than consensus, but the 10-year US yield actually fell 15 BIP and long duration rally. And I think what this is telling us is uh, the market is finally taking a more balanced view between inflation fear and recession risk. The Fed can hide Fed funds rate still all the way to 4% if they want to, but it doesn't mean the 10-year yield will have to go to 4% and I think it should be much lower than that because a more aggressive Fed will only deepen the yield curve inversion. Um, We see the currently strong US labor market condition as a sign of late cycle rather than strength. Uh, In the past seven to eight uh, US economic cycles since the 1960s, U.S. unemployment rate reached the lowest point in the cycle, on average about 12 months, less than 12 months before the start of next recession. So in short, we are still mildly bullish on both U.S. Treasuries and Malaysia MGS. I think investors should position for a compressed cycle, a shorter cycle, and we forecast 10-year U.S. yield will fall to 2.5% by the end of 2022, and also 10-year MGS to fall to 3.75%. By the end of
1: 2022 but i have to say these are non-consensus bills Uh, winston uh, we will get back to you on uh, your forecast on us 10-year treasury yield and mgs 10-year yield later um juye uh, you wrote a mid-year outlook on on indonesian economy Uh, what are the key highlights and takeaways from your uh, latest assessments on indonesia's macro Including your view on Bank Indonesia's monetary policy outlook, as you know, BI has been holding back from tightening, unlike its peers in Singapore, Malaysia, and uh, Indonesia. Uh, Sorry, good morning.
4: Yeah, morning everyone. Uh, so I think to highlight three key takeaways from the report. Uh, firstly, on the GDP growth forecast, uh, we maintain 2022 forecast at 5.1%. Uh, domestic demand is extending its robust recovery. Uh, consumer confidence in Indonesia has soared to a new record high in May and June. Uh, car sales and property transactions have benefited from the government's COVID stimulus measures, but this may ease in the second half when some of the incentives expire. Uh, Visitor arrivals rose to 184,000 in May, that's around a quarter of pre-pandemic levels uh, with the relaxation of borders and also on the investment front, both domestic and foreign investment realisation are surging. Uh, Secondly, on our inflation and policy rate outlook, uh, we raised our average headline CPI forecast for this year slightly to 3.9% from the previous 3.7%. Uh, this is to account for higher food prices and further hikes in unsubsidized fuel and LPG prices. Uh, headline CPI is expected to rise to around 4.7% in the second half of the year, uh, compared to the 3% in the first half. Uh, as you mentioned, BI is among the few remaining central banks yet to tighten, uh, but we expect uh, 75 bps in the second half. Uh, probably in August or September uh, for the first hike, rather than the upcoming meeting this Thursday, uh, to contain core inflation and to support the rupiah. I I just want to highlight here that uh, a risk of a sharp fuel price hike remains if global oil price stays elevated in the second half of the year. Uh, Recall that Indonesia had added uh, almost 2% of GDP worth of energy subsidies for this year, uh, and while this may be sufficient to cover the rising subsidy burden for this year, it may be challenging to maintain such large subsidies in 2023. Uh, the Pertamina CEO has stated that the market prices for uh, subsidized fuel like Pertalite and solar have more than doubled uh, compared to the subsidized prices as of July. Um, they possibly... may be a fuel price hike in the second half of the year to avoid any hike in 2023 uh, ahead of the elections in February 2024. Uh, Our previous estimate is uh, for a 15 to 20 percent hike in Pertalite, uh, which accounts for the dominant share of fuel consumption, that could add around 1 to 1.5 percentage point to headline CPI, and uh, in that case that could prompt BI to hike more aggressively. Uh, Lastly, I just want to highlight the point that commodity windfall has boosted Indonesia's exports and fiscal revenue. Uh, Commodity prices uh, such as palm oil, coal, nickel and copper have uh, driven up exports uh, which rose by 37% in the first half of the year. And fiscal revenue has also surged by 47% in the first months of this year. Um, That resulted in the government uh, upgrading their fiscal outlook for the second time. they are looking at fiscal deficit to come in at 3.9% of GDP, uh, compared to their uh, previous estimate of 4.5% of GDP. Uh, We adjust our fiscal deficit forecast to 4% of GDP in 2022, while keeping 2023 at 3% of GDP. Uh, The strength in exports and fiscal revenue may be difficult to sustain in 2023 if commodity prices continue uh, coming down from their highs. Let's
1: quickly move to FX. Um, Andy, uh, FX research team wrote for the latest ASEAN X macro and interestingly titled Trading the Recession Inflation Dynamics. So where and how do you see major and ASEAN currencies heading and behaving at a time of rising recession risk caused by this environment of rising inflation and interest rates? I mean, do historical analysis this offer any insight or as usual famous last word is it different this time
6: morning morning uh so i mean morning everyone um yes so recession risks uh have seen uh, definitely seen a, a sharp repricing i think we, over the past few months and the past few weeks in particular and i think what uh, winson and Hubbin and others have shared earlier on this morning highlights that uh the shifts between inflation and recession uh, but let me focus on three things from the report because it, uh, the report covers quite a bit. And indeed, Swami, so, mean, you mentioned about the historical um, analysis uh, that's important to see whether in the past, specific currencies moved in a certain way or certain magnitude and whether this time around will happen. So uh, I'll break it down into three, the US dollar, uh, the yen, and then the Asia Japan. On the dollar side, uh, dollar strength is, has been uh, a function of better U.S. data, actually, um, and also hawkish Fed, which is what we're seeing so far, uh, but also because of the sharp depreciation in the euro, uh, sterling, and to some extent, um, the growing fears of global recession emanating out of uh, U.S. and also the eurozone side of things. But we look for signs of actually slowing pace of the U.S. dollar gains uh, or potentially a moderate retracement by about 3 to 5% in the dollar strength, in the coming months. There needs to be three things on the dollar front uh, that will align for some pullbacks. First is the U.S. data. We want to look out that whether U.S. inflationary pressures will ease and so um, it will uh, lead to some dollar softness. Second is Fed signaling is also important. We want to see whether the upcoming FOMC is, will see a final of 75 basis points hike uh, So if more officials hint at 50 or 25 basis points hikes for the remainder of FOMC meetings, that will lead to the dollar move a bit softer. And third is how the euro. So um, another major to look out for, how it copes is uh, important, uh, whether the euro depreciation will be largely driven by markets uh, and doubts about ECB's anti-fragmentation rule. And the upcoming ECB meeting this week uh, will be critical on several fronts, whether it moves 25 basis points, the anti-fragmentation. So our view is on the dollar front, dollar positioning is on a near multi-year high, And we probably might start to see some gradual unwinding towards the end of the year. Historical price action suggests that um, further unwinding in dollar longs uh, could see uh, DXY or dollar index price action actually play a bit of a catch down. So that's on the dollar front. Second is on the yen. Uh, Typically, uh, there is a slight difference here with uh, historical moves. Typically uh, appreciates, uh, the yen typically appreciates during past periods of um. Uh, sort of recession or uh, worries of recession or crisis. S&P 500 sell-offs would be a proxy. Um, but the current episode is a bit rare as yen uh, was the biggest loser. It moved about 18%. Uh, the unusual occurrence was due to probably the sharp uh, widening in the yield differentials relative to the yen. And BOJ stuck to a commodity policy. But uh, I think most central banks, including the Fed, also dramatically stepped up the pace of the policy tightening. So we think that the pace of uh, Yen depreciation could actually slow if indeed uh, growth scarce uh, materializes into growth downturns or recessions, because I think Yen would tend to see some safe haven moves uh, into the Yen front. So our view is on take on that front on the Yen, uh, which have defied safe haven characteristic. It could, as it was also more than uh, what we expected, but we think that there could be some, um, you know, Movements into the yen as the short positions are starting to see gradual unwinding. Lastly, uh, the current episode, uh, Asia Japan sell off is still ongoing. We think, uh, as we speak, if you look at historical, the sell off um, usually depreciates by about three to thirteen percent on average during uh, periods of sell offs. Uh, But this sell off is possibly still picking up pace because we're only averaging about seven point six percent. So, if uh, we might see some room for further AXJ decline or Asia X Japan decline if recession fears materializes and macro fundamentals weakens further. So, in summary, uh, we think that uh, in light of the recession fears materializing, historical uh, uh, sort of analysis or background actually provides some elements, but there's some slight differences. Our view is yen weakness could reverse as yield differentials narrow at some point. The bearish bias could still persist in pro cyclical effects, including. Korean won, Taibat, and Taiwan dollar. Uh, third, uh, growth slowdown should also see demand for oil coming off, and that could exert pressure on net oil exporter effects such as ringgit. And finally, Sing dollar could still uh, see a bit, uh, stay a better bit because of the recent move and expectations of appreciation relative to other Asian effects. Swami, so mean, that's all. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Andy. Um, let's move to uh, Philippines, and uh, this time more on the sectors and stocks. Ah, uh, Daphne. Um, how do you see Philippines' consumer sector now in light of surging inflation and weaker peso? I mean, in terms of your stock coverage, who do you see as benefiting, resilient and vulnerable, and and what's your recommendations to investors? Thanks,
0: Jaime. So, in general, um, a weak peso is generally. Unfavorable for the sector because 50% of most FMCG manufacturers' cost of goods sold are non-peso-denominated, which implies limited ability to pass on higher costs without losing market share. So a weak peso and rising inflation are key sector headwinds, reinforcing our neutral sector view. At our 2022 and 2023 FX assumption of 55 to a dollar, the 2022 and 2023 earnings of our coverage names fall by 1% for every one peso depreciation in the peso against a dollar. So the 2022 earnings of URC, CNPF, and Monday would be most impacted, contracting by as much as 1.9%, 2.3%, and 1.9%, respectively, as 50% of the raw materials are non-peso denominated while their international business account for only 20 to 25% of revenues. So while the weak peso in 2018 also spurred cost hikes, companies were able to pass on most, if not all, of the incremental costs to consumers whose purchasing power improved with the passing of the train law, which reduced personal income tax in the same year. This will not be the case in 2022 and 2023, as household comes, uh, as household incomes remain constrained coming off the pandemic. And the government is proposing further reductions in the personal income tax to be deferred. So, given this, we recommend positioning in consumer companies with strong ability to pass on higher costs, such as DNL and to some extent, Pure Gold and RHI.
1: Thanks, Daphne. Um, another sector that I suppose is kind of um, sensitive to. Uh, interest rates would be Philippines REITs Now following BSP recent rate hike that accelerated last week and given the BSP rate outlook for the rest of the year what's the impact to Philippines REIT sector and implication on your sector view and recommendations? Good morning. I think we can look at it in two
7: ways. The first is in terms of the PNL or the earnings. The REIT sector is fairly under leveraged, with the average net gearing at 0.2 times. Uh, if you take it as a percentage of the posted property value, it's about 11%. So the impact of a 100 bips increase in the effective interest rates of the REITs results in only a one to three uh, percent decrease in our earnings estimates. Now, if we adjust our risk-free e- rate estimate, which we have at 4%, then adding 100 bps to the risk-free rate while keeping the market risk premium constant um, leads to about an 8 to 9% decline in our, in our target price. That said, there's some resilience as far as the earnings. We're still positive on, on that basis. We think that um, there's little refinancing risk because most of the debt maturities are still beyond 2023. And then there's the optionality provided by equity funding, specifically via property for share swap. At the same time, there is the upside risk, or that I would say, tangible upside risk from asset infusions, as only twenty to twenty-five percent of the parent companies' commercial portfolios have been infused into the REITs. Overall, we're still positive on the sector.
1: Thanks, uh, Sevi. Let's move to cheating. Um, Cheating CPO price have corrected significantly. Couple of things. Uh, first, can you update on the salient price and market-moving developments, as well as any policy events that happen or are coming? And um, what is your advice to investors when it comes to you know uh, regional plantations?
8: Good morning, Suhaimi. So, so the market has been
1: pretty bearish the last month. Uh, as
8: CPO price has fallen about forty percent from around six thousand ringgit per ton just a month ago to right now uh, three thousand five hundred sixty. Ringipatan last Friday. Besides expectations of favorable uh, yield following good all-seeds planting progress in the northern hemisphere and further hype in uh, US Fed rates to tame inflation, the other key factors that have been dragging down CPO price of late has been the bloated palm oil inventories in Indonesia that has piled up since uh, Indonesia imposed a three-week export ban in May and other measures to restrict exports uh, since then. Indonesia's bloated stockpile is estimated to be above 8.5 million ton, uh, double the usual 3 to 4 million ton stockpile. So after months of trying to bring down domestic sector price in Indonesia to provide affordable cooking oil to the masses, the government is now rolling out measures to boost the demand of palm oil as prices have hit recent lows. Over the past three weeks, the Indonesian government announced three key measures aimed at boosting demand exports. Firstly, the Indonesian government lifted its domestic versus export ratio from 1 to 5 to 1 to 7 ratio effective 1st July. This simply means exporters can now export palm oil at a rate of seven times their domestic sales or better known as the domestic market obligation. Secondly, the Indonesian government plans to implement B35 biodiesel plan uh, starting 20th July. Currently, it's B30. Uh, This, if it happens, translates to additional 0.15 million ton of CPO usage a month by our estimate. Last but not least, over the weekend, uh, just this weekend, the Indonesian government announced a temporary waiver of export levy from 15th July to 31st August. The export levy is now cut to 0 for CPO from 200 US dollar per ton uh, starting 15 July. Uh, it is important to note that the export duty remains in force which is at 288 dollars per ton. Uh, nonetheless with the export levy waiver the export tax have been immediately reduced from 488 to 288 right now or about 200 ringgit for the month of uh, sorry 200 US dollar per ton for the month of July. While these measures will bring Indonesia's bloated stockpile, will help to reduce Indonesia's stockpile, sorry, we believe it may still take at least two months for inventories to normalize, as Indonesia is now entering its seasonal peak production cycle in second half. Uh, as long as the market believes Indonesia continues to have bloated stockpile, it will continue to weigh down on global CPO price. Hence, CPO price is likely to stay low in third quarter of this year before recovering towards fourth quarter and into the first quarter of next year when the industry enters into seasonal low uh, output cycle. In the meantime, all eyes will be on the weather condition and crop development in the Northern Hemisphere, especially in the month of July and August, and a fresh guidance by the US Fed later this month for new price direction. For now, uh, we expect as we expect CPO price in second half to trend lower half and half, our uh, preferred picks are uh, integrated players uh, with relatively low cost of production, such as IOI and KLK, as they typically exhibit greater earnings resilience compared to pure growers. Even the latter's uh, earnings are more sensitive to CPO price movement. Hence, our regional preferred picks are KLK and IOI.
1: Uh, our CPO ASP forecast still unchanged for this year next year?
8: Yeah, it's still unchanged. It's on track to be trip. Treat- to, to average 5,000 ringgit per ton this year and next year at 3,400 ringgit per ton. All right,
1: thanks. Um, so we're slightly overrun, uh, so that's the right for today and uh, have a good week ahead.
0: As always, get specific advice from your trading rep and download our reports from the Maybank Trade app. Also, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to get immediate updates. Have a good week ahead. I'm Noel Lim on Nazan Speaks by Maybank.